Praise be Jesus Christ. Welcome to episode 13 of CarmelCast. My name is Father Michael Joseph of St. Therese, and CarmelCast is a production of the Institute of Carmelite Studies Publications. For more information, you can go to our website at icspublications.org. So today, it's great to have with us Brother Joseph of the Holy Family. It's great to be here. Yes, yes. And of course, today is two days more or less before the feast of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. And Brother Joseph has deep devotion to her. Um, and so we thought it would be great to have you come and just kind of share a little bit about her and her life and her spirituality. Um, but maybe to start out, Brother Joseph, what is your connection or how did Elizabeth kind of impact you? I mean, other than just Elizabeth generally being the best. Um, <laughs> no, I really, I first encountered Elizabeth of the Trinity um, when I was first discerning a vocation to Carmel. And even before that, when I was just trying to figure out um, my own my own spirituality and first exploring Carmel. And I came across a volume of her letters and I opened it up and started reading it. And I was really struck by one in particular and just the tone of it and her personality coming across the page. I thought to myself, boy, you know, I think if I had known her, you know, in, in life, we would have been really good friends. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I sort of felt like I'd, I'd gained a special friend in heaven. And then there were just a number of different things that happened from that point on. Um, both in prayer and, and in study and just growing deeper in my relationship with Elizabeth of the Trinity and learning the, the true depths of the riches that she has to offer, uh, both to Carmel and to the church. So, yeah, picked that up and never looked back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's awesome because you entered Carmel, you know, not too long ago, what, four years ago now, more or less? Uh, almost five. It'll almost be, five. Yeah. And, and Elizabeth was canonized, you know, early, just three years ago. So right, you know, yeah. right as you're beginning in Carmel. We, uh, I remember finding out about that she had been approved for canonization during my novitiate year. And then it was in my first year of temporary vows that the blessed event actually happened. Yeah, so yeah. it was a very exciting time. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's awesome. And maybe some people don't know a lot about her, you know, you... You see she's growing in popularity, but there's still a lot to, to go, I think, for people learning about her. So maybe you could just share a little bit about her life, kind of, in a brief summary or a sense of who she was. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, if you're just catching up, uh, so Elizabeth of the Trinity uh, was born Elizabeth Catez. Uh, she lived in the second half of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. She was born to, uh, father's name was Joseph. Uh, he was an army officer in the French army. And uh, she lived with him, uh, her mother, and uh, one younger sister. She lost her father at an early age, and that was very uh, tough on her, tough on her mother, and it ended up shaping her religious vocation because when she finally felt called to Carmel, her mother, understandably having lost her husband, was, was, very, was very unwilling to let her daughter go. Um, but so Elizabeth persisted and persisted, uh, was unsure for a time if she would ever be able to enter, um, which really helped to deepen her own prayer life. And we'll talk about that later. But finally, she entered the Carmel in Dijon. Um, and she lived there actually just four years, um, until she, uh, she died of, uh, of Addison's disease. Um, but in that time, a short life, uh, she only lived to the age of 26 she really managed to reach the, the heights of the spiritual life and impart to her friends, her family, 
her Carmel and to the whole church eventually a, a beautiful spiritual patrimony mm-hmm. um, that we can share through her life and her writings. Nice, yeah. Thanks, thanks for that. You summed it up well. Um, and I think, you know, in Carmel, our titles have a lot of significance, right? So we pick our titles or they're given to us and they often indicate our own kind of personal path of spirituality. And so with Elizabeth receiving the title of, of the Trinity, you know, that, that's become such a, a core sense of, of her path, who she is. And maybe could you just share a little bit about kind of some of her central teaching or experience with, with the Blessed Trinity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was funny with Elizabeth, with the Trinity, because it wasn't the title that she wanted, you know, mm-hmm. when she was entered religious life, she wanted to be Elizabeth of Jesus. Uh, but as often happens, you know, God has other plans. And so she received with the Trinity, which was at first a, a disappointment to her, but she really embraced this title as the mystery under which God would sanctify her. And she fell in love with this mystery of the indwelling. Mm. Um, I think to back up first, you know, we really need, when we talk about the indwelling of the Trinity, we really need to make a distinction between what are we talking about? Because we hear about a lot about the indwelling of God and what that means. And it can be kind of confusing, um, especially, you know, especially if we don't break it down and think of it carefully. And so, as you know, there's, there's two ways of thinking about the indwelling of God, or rather two ways that God, God's indwelling presence exists in us. Mm-hmm. He exists in us as creator, and he exists in us as redeemer. Mm-hmm. So God as creator exists in all created things. He, he is being. So one of the things that um, you know thinkers and philosophers grappled with for, for thousands of years was this question of why is there something rather than nothing? Um, and they eventually hit on um, this idea of there must be some kind of being who is exists definitionally. So you and me, or a tree or whatever, we know that in the definition of Brother Joseph or the tree out the window or what have you, nothing in uh, the definition of how would you describe him says that I need to exist. I didn't exist before the year 1986. There wasn't such a thing as me around. And as far as you know, a tree goes, if you lack an immortal soul, once it's gone, it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. So where does its beingness come from? And it comes from God. Um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about this. And it says, speaking of God's self-revelation of himself to the Israelites, to Moses, through the burning bush, where he says, I am who am. Um, Article 213 of the Catechism reads thus, God is the fullness of being and of every perfection, without origin and without end. All creatures receive all that they are or have and have from him. But he alone is his very being. And he is of himself everything that he is. Now, this is a little heady, but that's the important thing is to know that God dwells in every created being, holding it in existence. If he were to withdraw his presence from us for an instant, we would be annihilated. We would not exist. But God wants to go further than this. I mean, this is a really amazing gift that God has given us, existence. But he wants to go even further with uh with those of us who've been called through baptism, because God wants to dwell within us as redeemer. Mm -hmm. And this is what he does through sanctifying grace. He takes up an additional dwelling in our hearts. And this is the, 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 his identity that he made known to us 
through his son Jesus mm -hmm. that was disclosed to us through the incarnation. When we look at nature, as these philosophers have done, they can see that, okay, there must be some kind of God. There must be something that holds all this in existence is the reason why it is. But we don't know who he is. We just know what he is. And even through God's self-revelation on Sinai, it remained kind of at that point. But what it took was Jesus Christ coming and imparting the message that God is a trinity of persons. God is love. God wants to dwell within us. As he said to the disciples at the, the Last Supper in the, uh, the Gospel of John, he says, whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. This is the deepest desire of God's heart. He wants to make our dwelling with us. And this is the mystery that really enraptured Elizabeth mm -hmm. of the Trinity, this, this truth of the indwelling of God's desire to, to be with us. Yeah. Um, and she opens Heaven in Faith, one of the first of her, her major works, by talking about this. And you get an idea from listening to her words of how intrigued she was mm -hmm. by this idea and how much it, it animated her. And she says, such is Christ's last wish, his supreme prayer before returning to the Father. He wills that where he is, we also should be, not only in eternity, but already in time, which is eternity begun and still in progress. It is important then to know that we must live with him in order to realize his divine dream. Mm -hmm. And that really sums up, I think, Elizabeth's spirituality in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. This awareness of God's redeeming presence in her soul and her, her falling in love with it mm -hmm. and her desire to replicate it by dwelling with God herself. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it seems like, I mean, it's a good example of how theology helps us in our faith. I mean, how an understanding of what God is doing in dwelling within us actually is not just head knowledge you know it can become something that we can deeply connect to and, and give us great joy even like it did Elizabeth and and a sense of her whole purpose in life um, so but you know not everyone is is a theologian you know not everyone has a, a capacity or even a desire to study these things so deeply and, and it wasn't like Elizabeth even had you know all this formal education in this realm how did she kind of get to encounter that or learn, but also really encounter, yeah, this presence of God within her? Well, it was really through prayer, um, but it was also by just having an open mind uh, to, to what she learned. And it occurred by degrees uh, when you look at the journey of her life. And you're right, she didn't have what we would call a formal education. She had tutors, but especially when she reached uh, you know high school age and her teenage years, really her education was just in music. Mm -hmm. She was an excellent pianist, and um, she could have gone on to, to greater things if she'd wanted yeah. to, but she felt this call to, to enter Carmel. And so, you know, she probably had essentially a, an eighth or a tenth grade education mm -hmm. in, in, in formal terms, um, but she had an eager mind and she paid attention both to the theology that she received from the preachers who would give retreats. She, you know, there were Dominican priests who were very faithful in giving retreats at the Dijon Carmel. Mm. She took um, careful notes on these things, but mainly just focusing on her prayer mm. um, and focusing on her spiritual reading. One of the beautifully encouraging things about Elizabeth, of course, is when you look at 
how much time she had each day for the study of scripture, it was only about 15 minutes of each day. And that's amazing when you look at her writings and how suffused with the scriptures they are, how much St. Paul and St. John and the other writers really spoke to her Mm -hmm. and how she made that vocabulary their own. And I think it's a real sign and an encouragement of just how little real time it takes Mm -hmm. if one truly commits oneself to prayer and to God to to begin to live with him in a way that everything becomes internalized. Mm -hmm. And she started this. I mean, her fascination with it was before she entered Carmel. Part of it was she really deeply desired to live with God because she didn't know when she was going to enter or even if she ever would. Mm -hmm. So she began to talk about the cloister of her heart where she could at least live with Jesus in her interior Mm -hmm. because he dwelt with her there. And so she could choose to dwell with him there. And it continued as she entered Carmel um, and really interiorized that mystery of the Trinity to the degree which when she finally became an aunt, um, she wrote to her sister in one of her letters and said, you know, I wish if you brought my nieces here to the speak room, you know, I would bow down on the floor and I would worship the triune God who's living within them because they are temples of the Holy Spirit. They are temples of the Trinity. And God dwells within them. I mean, that's how strongly she believed in this and how much she was fascinated yeah. by this mystery of our faith. Yeah. And it's it's kind of striking, too, because when you read about her experience in Carmel, it wasn't like she was just filled with peace always or these consolations constantly. Like she went through so much dryness and really had to learn, you know, to root her experience in faith, right? that it wasn't something you could always feel or sort of have a sentiment of this warm presence within you of God, let's say. Absolutely. And, you know, Elizabeth is a great mystic, but she's not one in the sense that we normally think of mystics. She received some consolations and infuses of grace, and she went through some very strong dark nights, but there were no locutions, no Mm -hmm. revelations except maybe towards the end of her life as, as she was on the cusp of eternity, um, some, some more notable spiritual experiences. But generally, she lived by faith. And that was really how she talked about living with the Trinity, mm-hmm. is it all comes down to living in faith. Mm-hmm. And that entails a number of different things, which she sums up in her, her writings on what it means to be a praise of glory. In the end of her work, Heaven and Faith, where she sums it up, she gives kind of four different definitions. um, And it's worthwhile just to go through some of these and to say, you know, how do we unpack this? Mm. How do we go through? And so the first one that she says is, a praise of glory is a soul that lives in God, that loves him with a pure and disinterested love without seeking itself in the sweetness of this love that loves him beyond all his gifts, and even though it would not receive anything from him, it desires the good of the object thus loved. Now, how can we effectively desire and will good to God if not by accomplishing his will, since this will orders everything to his greater glory? Thus, the soul must surrender itself to this will completely, passionately, so as to will nothing else but what God wills. For Elizabeth, you know, she really takes first off is being a praise of glory and this dwelling with God, the indwelling God. It means choosing to be with him in times and circumstances. Mm. Um, And this is the funny thing about the indwelling of God as Redeemer is that 
unlike God's presence in us as creator, which is stable and unchanging, he's mm. always with us and we're always with him mm. in that sense. There's nothing we can do to change that. His presence in us as redeemer can change, can alter. Um, we can push that presence out through mortal sin. We can reject that life mm. from us even after we've received baptism. And then we can merit it again by having recourse to the sacrament of penance. Mm. And similarly, even when God is dwelling in us in the state of grace, where we're dwelling, it, it really depends. You know, there's a difference when you have a guest in your house, if you're both, you know, hunched over a coffee, like, like we are right here, mm. kind of a very intimate sort of face-to-face and having this conversation, whereas you could be staying in my guest room, but but I'm sleeping out on the porch in a hammock or whatnot, <laughs> so as to, well, I don't want to bother Father Michael Joseph too much. That's a very different kind of a, a dwelling together. Mm-hmm. And it's like that with God. Uh, and this is something Elizabeth realized, that you have to choose to live with God, not just to accept his presence and be aware of it, but to really seek him out in your own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, again, earlier, she talks about the importance of fostering a habitual attitude of remaining with him all the time, Mm -hmm. no matter what you're doing or feeling. And she says here at the beginning of Heaven and Faith, remain in me. It is the word of God that gives this order, expresses this wish. Remain in me, not for a few moments, a few hours that must pass away, but remain permanently, habitually, remain in me, pray in me, adore in me, love in me, suffer in me, work and act in me. Remain in me so that you may be able to encounter anyone or anything. Penetrate still further into these depths. This is truly the solitude into which God wants to allure the soul that he may speak to it, as the prophet sang. Mm. And this is Elizabeth's, her whole mission in life was to further respond to this divine invitation to to remain with him. And it doesn't just mean kind of a a constant prayer of recollection, Mm -hmm. though that's part of it. She also speaks of the importance of adhering to God in all the circumstances of one's life. Mm -hmm. As you said, she had some very good times in Carmel. She had some very painful times in Carmel. Mm -hmm. Sometimes of immense suffering, of separation, of deep spiritual darkness. Um, But she persevered with God through those times. And that's what she calls us to do because that's the real dwelling with God Mm -hmm. is remaining with him no matter where we are because he always remains with us Mm -hmm. no matter where we're at. He is always present to us unless we actively reject him. And so the great invitation of Elizabeth is to always invite God closer to us and allow him through that invitation to, to draw us closer to him because ultimately he is the one who brings us to himself. He accomplishes the work of redemption. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's very consoling to know that too because it's not something that we can sort of conjure up. You know, it's not something that we can just sort of make ourselves feel or experience. It's God's work in us and, and we do our best to sort of go with it. But it can go through, like you said, times of great suffering or um, times of great dryness. Um, but I, I think even especially of, you know, people in the world, you know, who don't maybe have all the time for prayer or, or at least formal prayer, that it's, it's not so far off for them to be able to habitually dwell with God, you know, no matter what they're doing and, and 
it's it's a, it's a level deeper than even thoughts that we might have or something, you know? And, and I, I think that it, it should give hope to a lot of people. It really should. And there's a great similarity uh, in a number of senses to Therese's little way. Um, and Elizabeth was a great devotee of St. Therese. Mm. She read Story of a Soul in its first edition. When mm. it first came out, it had a very limited publication. She got it from the Dijon Carmel. And the prioress at the Dijon Carmel, Mother Germain, she said that Sister Therese um, was the unofficial, kind of the spiritual novice mistress. And she kept a picture of her, uh, I believe one that Celine had, had painted a copy of that, to in the novitiate, in yeah. the Dijon Carmel. So, um, but one thing that Elizabeth says to, to a young friend who lived in the world, you know, she talks about this and she says, you know, we must become aware that God dwells within us and do everything with him. She says, and then we'll never be commonplace, hmm. even when performing the most ordinary tasks. For we do not live in these things, we go beyond them. Hmm. A supernatural soul never deals with secondary causes, but with God alone. And that's that eye of faith that you look at, where even in every little thing, and these great desires in our souls, and she's writing here to, again, a friend who's very idealistic, has mm -hmm. these great soaring ambitions, but <laughs> is kind of chafing up against the realities of being, you know, a 17-year-old woman in 1906 in a small city in France. Not the world of opportunities, you know, um, that are necessarily readily available to do all sorts of amazing things. But Elizabeth is saying it doesn't matter mm. because God makes everything extraordinary, everything supernatural, if they're done with him and if we see him working through those things in yeah. us. And even those immense times of suffering, which Elizabeth knew very well, you know, when she, she died of Addison's disease, it was a, a protracted 10-month illness, I mean, preceded by a number of months of extreme fatigue and uh, insomnia, mm. but she almost literally burned up from the inside out. Her entire GI tract was just, um, it just went through an immense suffering. Yeah. Um, so for her, I mean, it was a true immolation. Mm. Uh, and people were shocked when they saw her body. There was no phenomenon like Therese with the kind of a miraculous recovery. You really looked like you were looking at a nun who had just been immolated by yeah. divine love, yeah. uh, truly burned up. And she suffered with this. And like Therese, you know, she, she was tempted to self-destruction mm. um, with, with how intense that agony was. Yeah. But it never overcame her because she always did it with Jesus. And that's another point that she really wants to drive home is it's easy for a Christian to fall into kind of a stoic attitude of where we look at suffering as I just have to grit my teeth and get through it and God will give me help. But really where we're cutting our we're cutting ourselves off from God mm -hmm. because we're making it all about our suffering and ourselves mm -hmm. and God becomes out and that's not the way Elizabeth wants to go she talks about her own attitude and she takes the the beautiful lines in, in speaking of her own immense suffering she takes lines from the song of songs she says the queen stood at your right hand this is in her last retreat such is the attitude of this soul she walks the way of Calvary, uh, Calvary at the right of her crucified, annihilated, humiliated king, yet always so strong, so calm, so full of majesty as he goes to his passion to make the glory of his grace blaze forth, according to that so strong expression of St. Paul. He wants to associate his bride in his work of redemption 
and the sorrowful way which she follows seems like the path of beatitude to her, not only because it leads there, but also because her holy master makes her realize that she must go beyond bitterness to find in it, as he did, her rest. She does not look at the paths on which she is walking. She simply gazes at the shepherd who is leading her. And that you really get a sense of Elizabeth's approach to finding God in all things. And she very musically talks about it. She uses a lot of musical metaphors mm. in her writings. She talks about a soul that is not wholly focused on God, not viewing things with the single eye of faith, not directing everything, good or bad, or indifferent to the Almighty and seeing his work. She says it's like a discordant instrument that's out of tune, and you're constantly trying to get it all in tune, but you can never quite manage to play a melody. But when your life is transformed and vivified by faith, everything comes into tune because everything comes into the unison that it should be. Because it's ultimately where we find that the deepest spiritual healing is by allowing God to draw us into him and to unite all the scattered contradictory parts of, of our soul, our psyche, our wounded human nature in himself and transform that through faith, hope, and love. Yeah. I mean, what, what better goal could one have for, for your life? Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 such a, it's such a beautiful way and it, and it goes beyond, you know, our circumstance in life, our vocation in life, um, whatever things might be going on in us or around us, our experiences in the past. It's not about, you know, why am I suffering this or why is this happening? It's just, you know, being with the Lord in it. And then by, by that, everything falls into place. Yeah. You know? and, and yeah, I can't think of a, a better way to live. Um, so, well, thank you, Brother Joseph. I mean, I think this was a very good and uh, fruitful conversation. And I, I hope, yeah, more people can take your, your, your wisdom that you've gained from Elizabeth and from your time in Carmel and, and help, uh, you know, go deeper themselves. Well, if there's one thing I recommend, it's just go to the sources, read Elizabeth herself, because this is her wisdom. Um, you know, she, she was taught by our Lord uh, and, and enlightened by uh, a real lived experience of prayer. And, you know, praise God, you know, the church has made her writings available to us and, and given, you know, her witness, kind of the definitive seal of approval uh, and set her up as a, a model of prayer and a true guide in, mm -hmm. in the spiritual life. Yes. Um, so she's, she's amazing. And um, I hope that all of you who are watching, if you've read her already, I encourage you to go back and read her again. There's always more to be learned from her. And if you haven't encountered her yet, then, then please do uh, take the next step and, and really uh, dive in to her writings and, and see how she speaks to you and, and how she can draw you to, to Jesus. Um, because that was ultimately what she hoped her vocation in heaven would be. She was asked, you know, are you gonna be like St. Therese doing good, you know, spending your heaven doing good on earth? And, and she said, no, not exactly. I want to dwell in heaven close to God in the heart of the Trinity, but then draw other souls up mm. to dwell there also. Um, which is uh, uh, a beautiful dream for, for all of us and an encouraging sign that she's waiting to do the same thing for mm -hmm. you as well, if you'll reach out to her and, and allow her to do so and allow our Lord to, to transform you through, through faith.
Hey everyone, Brother Pier Giorgio here. Thanks for checking out this episode of CarmelCast. If you want to hear more of us, don't forget to click subscribe. Want more information on Carmelite spirituality and the Discalced Carmelite Saints? Then you'll want to check out our website, www.icspublications.org. There's a link in the description of this episode. From here, you can see all our current promotions and access our complete catalog for the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and St. Edith Stein. If you want to stay up to date on all our promotions and new titles, then be sure to add your email to our email list. There's no better way to stay up to date on the latest Carmelite publications. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you.